It's Friday. For episode Friday. Welcome back, guys. Welcome to Thunder Noodle. Woogly woogly. Woodly woo. Oh, okay. So, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. I only finished uh, looking up this case literally 10 minutes ago. Um, is that like just because you procrastinate or is it because there was so much info that there was literally not enough time in the day to get through it i um a little bit of everything oh. <laughs> i also only decided on a case quite late oh. because i was like i don't know what i'm gonna do and then i found one and i was like oh, this is it and then i was like okay cool like this could be like a cool mini-sode so i was gonna originally do it yeah. as a mini-sode yeah oh girl that's not a mini-sode is it not a mess that we're doing a full episode? Yeah. Okay. Um, so it is a South African case. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why I chose it is because our murderer was a 16-year-old boy from Grey. Grey like the school, Grey College, yeah. boys' school. In Bloemfontein. In Bloemfontein. <gasps> and that's like super prestigious school Mm -hmm. they are well south africa is head over heels for rugby Mm -hmm. and i know that the school i was in paul had a really good rugby team Mm. and they used to play against gray and then everybody would lose their shit like completely people go crazy man Mm -hmm. like it it gets broadcasted on the television yeah and i heard somebody said how do you know somebody or a person was in grey. Oh. They tell you. That's <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> I'm a grey boy. A grey boy. Um, but anyways. So the case we're doing today is the Griekwaastad murders. Griekwaastad murders. Yeah. That one. This place is just past Kimberley. That's all I really know about where it okay. is. Yeah, this was quite a famous case. But I don't know what happened. Oh, good. Yeah, I haven't gone into it yeah no it was it was i just thought mm, creepy are we gonna have to do a part one and a part two no okay i don't think so i think i'll be able to get through it okay okay so before we get into the case let's talk a little about about the fam dam yeah so the parents were still together they were married whatever good for them happy lovely good good family yeah. they were also both like quite successful in their field of work so that was great and they just seemed like a, a happy family. So their son was 16 years old at the time of the murders and he went to Guerrier College in Bloemfontein. Was he in the hostel? Yes. Because they're from Grikostad. Yes. Okay. And their daughter, who was 14 at the time of the murders, went to Urania Hoerschool Vermeijsies in mm. Bloemfontein. And she was also in the hostel, mm. obviously. Dion, which is the father, Dion Steenkamp, was very successful and well-known in his community, as well as his wife, Christelle. They were hard-working, they were involved in the church, they were just an active part in the community, um, in just various just various ways, you know, they cool. Their family was quite wealthy, from what Up I can find. Class. And the reason for this is, apparently... Dion had quite a few farms. Oh, so not even upper middle class, just upper class. Mm. Okay. 
so he had quite i think they were like four or five if i'm not mistaken farms yeah mm. and so they were quite wealthy however they didn't show it the parents were very big on like they would help the kids and whatever and they would do small things for them or do something for them but they wouldn't like spoil them okay like all the time and so they're not like what nepo babies mm -mm. Mm -mm. Okay. like they were raised very like humbly i want to yes. say um so it was it was nice even their like furniture in their house like the way they decorated their house it was very like you know it wasn't eccentric or expensive stuff or anything like that with the parents how they raised the kids they were strict but fair most of the time and overall just a really happy family but also due to all these farms that Dion had he had these farms because of inheritance and stuff like that and so he had built up quite an inheritance himself okay for his children yeah right so it was kind of like passed down the line and that's a big thing in South yeah. Africa I think one thing to compare it to is in America they have the ranch the ranch and then the oldest brother gets the ranch mm. and then his oldest son gets the ranch mm. and they're just all ranchers ranchers <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry guys i spend a lot of time babysitting s's child yeah. and the voice that s makes sometimes just reminds me of her so oh much. my little baby girl she's just look she keeps using that my little pony thing <laughs> where she pretends to be applejack and then yeah. she's like rainbow day rainbow day she's so love cute. it <laughs> okay so back on track the murder happened on april 6 2012 that wasn't too long ago that no, was what 11 years ago yeah which actually feels like forever because the world was supposed to end then but anyways oh yeah i forgot it was good friday Easter weekend. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. A young man arrived at the local police station at around 7 p.m. covered in blood, shouting, You must come. They've been shot. They're all dead. The young man turned out to be 16-year-old Don Steenkamp. Police took Don to a private area outside to talk about what happened. And this is where Don tells them that his family had been inside watching TV and he had gone to the barn to apparently fix a light bulb. And he heard gunshots going off. So he hid in the barn until the the shots stopped. And that's when he went inside to go investigate. And when he walked inside, he walked like through his kitchen or whatever. And like, I don't know exactly know how the house is set up. But like he walked through the kitchen into the lounge and saw his deceased family. Oh no. Yes. Um, I'm guessing he went over to them and that's why he's covered in blood, according to him now. Oh, we're going to hit them. So this family is Martella Steenkamp, 14. She is the daughter. And her parents, Dion, 44. And Crystal Steenkamp, 43. So the police decide to call their superiors when Don tells them that he thinks that this might have been a farm murder. And within minutes, police officers are swarming the station and they're getting ready to go to the crime scene. So if you're not South African, farm murders were quite, well, are, I guess, yeah. still quite a big thing. Yeah. Um, 
yeah it's just i don't know it's a very big thing in our country i don't really know how to explain it but yeah it's kind of how can i relate this to anything no like certain towns in any other countries you will say like this town is ravaged by gang members Mm. gang violence is very bad there other times you'll be like this is like an epicenter for meth addicts Mm. or opioid abuse like there's that one town in america where literally it's just opioid addicts everywhere Mm. all of everywhere Mm. so in south africa far murders it's not necessarily focused on a specific area but specifically farms yeah do have an insane amount of break-ins and brutal murders. Yeah, it's insane. It's to the point where literally they talk about farm murders. It's yeah. got its, like farm murders, like its own specific little category. The police then leave and they go to the crime scene, okay? And Don was left behind at the station and he wanted to go with, but the police were like, mm-mm, you, you're going to stay here. I think they kind of thought, you know, we don't want to traumatize this poor, like, 16-year-old boy again. He doesn't need to be here. You know, we we also, we don't know who's still there. Like, we don't know what the situation is. It's just, it's safer for him to not go. But apparently, like, he begged to go, but it didn't happen. The head of Northern Cape crime units arrived at the station after officers had gone to the crime scene. And an officer was supposed to be on duty, um, but they couldn't get hold of him or whatever the case may be. So a different officer was assigned to the case. And this was Colonel Dick Duvall. So when he got to the police station, he was told that Don was taken to a restaurant, which was like, I think like one of the only restaurants, to go eat something and have something to drink and be comforted by friends and family and whatever what yeah what yeah so Duval asks if any statements has been taken if every any evidence has been collected or anything like that but police officers said they weren't told to do anything all they can say to him was when he came in he was covered in blood head to toe but we didn't do anything about it oh wow no we, we took him to a restaurant and gave him some foodies <laughs> So Duvall instantly goes to the restaurant where family members start to fight with him because Duvall's like, listen, bruh, you need to come back with me and we need to start talking about what's going on. And his family members are like, no, don't traumatize him, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, guys, what about the rest of the fam? Yeah. You know? So eventually, I don't know how, but eventually they agree to do this so don stood up and deval looks at him and he all of a sudden realizes this kid is no longer as covered in blood as he was told and then soon finds out that people saw him washing himself off and like and like police officers but no one stopped him because they didn't want to upset him what okay okay so deval then decided to start taking physical evidence because he was like, you know, no one else has done it and what else has already been washed disrupted away. and washed yeah. away. So he starts taking like blood samples on his clothes. He takes the stuff under his fingernails. Um, there's even a scratch on his neck that he notices. He photographs that. 
and there were like a few like other things too. He asks Don why he was so rushed to wash his body off after getting there, whatever. And then Don says, no, my sister died in my arms. He then says he was so absolutely disgusted by being in her blood now after this whole situation. Mm -hmm. And he was just so anxious to get it off. That's what he said in his own words. He was like, I'm just so anxious to get this blood off of me. It just, I'm disgusted by it. He then decides, okay, you know what, it's fine. I'm going to send Don home. We're going to talk about this tomorrow. Home, I'm guessing like with his family. Yeah, he sends him home with a family member. And then, yeah, so he sends Don home and he's like, okay, we're going to talk about this tomorrow. He then decides, okay, I'm going to go to the crime scene with the rest of these investigators and i'm gonna see what the fuck is going on when police had arrived at the crime scene they walked into the house and they saw lifeless bodies that were just full of blood and they saw that there were just multiple multiple gunshot wounds to their bodies now one thing that was really weird is not weird well one thing that was good to note i guess was that Dion, the father, their neighbor was actually like, you know, one of those like, um, you know, when communities form their own little security group. Oh, like a a neighborhood watch. Yes, neighborhood watch. That's exactly the word I'm looking for. So I don't know if that's a thing overseas, but if it's not, what it basically is, is the community comes together and they decide they're going to look after each other if they are dangerous times and the police are not there quick enough they will step in and be the superheroes yeah he was notified because usually there's like a whatsapp group and i'm not even joking you literally have a whatsapp group and one neighbor will hear for example gunshots and they'll let someone know and be like oh i heard gunshots and then another neighbor will be like oh this is a reason or oh I heard them too or whatever when the police get to the crime scene obviously neighbors can see this the whatsapp group starts popping off yeah this neighbor goes and looks to see what's going on because he's right next door so he gets there and he sees that there are three male officers and he asks if he can go inside to see what's going on and shockingly they say yes and they take him inside which to me makes, I don't know, I don't know they could do that. Yeah. But they went with him and so he walks into the house and as soon as he saw the three bodies covered in blood and bullets, he just, he walks out. He was like, I couldn't yeah. see that anymore. However, what was also noticed about the bodies that was really strange was that Martella's face was really bruised and full of blood it was eventually came it like eventually came out that she was beaten so badly that she was almost unrecognizable but she was the only one that was this severely beaten yeah which was really strange they were like okay why why was she experiencing the brunt end of the stick yeah so when duval went into the house to investigate he found an abandoned shirt that was kind of hidden. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was hidden in Don's room. Okay. And it was also covered in blood. But it also, like, it had a tear on it. 
this t-shirt became a very vital part of information in this case and it did turn out to be don's t-shirt that he had changed before leaving the house which was super weird i was like why would okay the so neighbor? you change your shirt, but you don't go take a shower. <clears throat> but also, like, your sister just died in your arms. The neighbor who went to the house had also done a lot of research on farm attacks. I think all farmers, when this became, like, such a big thing, did their own kind of research and try to educate themselves on ways to protect themselves and just different things like that. So he also said, like, he soon realized this doesn't look like your typical farm attack he says that nothing had really been stolen and the family dogs were still running around everything was fine and usually farm attacks are quite planned i want to say almost so what will often happen is they will poison or somehow harm the animals on the farm like the dogs or something before they actually go so it was weird that the dogs were still running around um there were there was an open safe that had weapons in it, like guns, and none of the guns had really been taken, which was also strange. Mm. And there was no sign of a break-in or, or signs of struggle to get into the house. Nothing was broken or forced in or anything like that. So police searched the scene until early morning and even got the police dogs to come out to the scene. And early that morning, Duval took Don to the hospital so that medical professionals could see if he had any injuries and if they could help him in any way and if he was fine. After that, then they took him to the farm. Yeah. So that Don could explain his side of the story. And apparently during the drive there, Don was very chatty, even going to lengths about bragging about how fast he went driving his dad's car to the police station i'm just like how like i get you're a 16 year old boy oh and you know what if it was in any other circumstance if you were just being a naughty little boy and you stole your dad's car when you were out i would get that like i would get you bragging to your friends about that or something but you're with a police officer and you're going to your house where three of your family members have just been murdered and the first thing you want to do is brag about how fast you were going in your dad's car. I want to say, I say car, it was a bucky for, for my South Africans. It was said that this wasn't like, it was unprovoked. And then the next unprovoked thing, he also decided to turn around and say, and well, not say, but ask, is he turns around to this, to Duval and he says, how am I going to get the inheritance from my dad? How do I what? go about that? Do you know? Like, bruh, <laughs> suspicious. So, while all of this was going on, Don's extended family very quickly arranged for him to get a lawyer so that someone could deal with all this other legal mm. shit for him. His dad at this time, well, not at this time, his dad before this had obviously given him like a god godparent to be a legal guardian if i'm not mistaken this godparent like they were family friends or something like that and don didn't spend a single night with this godparent that he was supposed to be with because this godparent actually declined being his guardian because he said he would be doing his family a disservice due to the nature of the circumstances so he was so like 
confused because he didn't know what the truth was. Yeah. And how are you the only survivor? And am I putting my family in danger? And he was like, I can't do this. I need to protect my family. And that's an odd family. thing because you would think that he would immediately, if he's the godparent, want to take Don in because of what happened. But he's suspicious enough to not let him in. Why? That's strange. You know? So someone else took guardianship of Dom. Dom. Of Don. However, this was a weird situation because the person that took guardianship wasn't even close to Dion, Don's dad, mm. when he was alive. Yeah. So everybody kind of just looked at that situation and was like, okay, that's kind of weird, but we're not going to say anything. While all of this is going on, police release a statement while they're investigating and it caused an uproar due to the fact that what was implied was that the so-called farm murder was not a farm murder mm. and although police came to this realization quite soon in the investigation everybody else didn't they all thought oh my god another farm murder what are we going to do mm. blah, blah 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 now this community that doesn't have any violence experiences what they think is a farm murder and now it turns out that it's not even a farm murder everybody's kind of like what the fuck is going on so a whole bunch of rumors start going around but none of them were really true some of the rumors were quite crazy though there was this one rumor that the dad did it and that he killed the daughter and the mom and then shot himself isn't that a femicide i have no idea but if that's what it's called that's crazy Mm. Yeah, it's basically one person annihilates the whole family and then himself. That's insane. I think that's what it's called. I have no idea. And then there was even this other, like, claim, I guess, that the mom was doing some satanistic shit and some weird things like that. Why do they always have to bring Satan into this? I don't know. And that she did this as a sacrifice. That was another one of the very weird... South Africans, eh? cooked we are cooked but however after the autopsies were done this is what was really discovered about the bodies and what kind of happened well we don't know who did it but what happened to them at least so all the victims were shot dion received three bullet wounds one was to his right shoulder one was to the back of his head and one was behind his ear and he also had some blunt force trauma or injuries to the the head christelle had two bullet wounds there was one in her back and one in the back of her head and then martella had four shots two to her chest and two to her face they believed that she was dead when she received the shots to her face because apparently the shots to her chest were quite brutal and he was quite close you know so yeah and she bled out so they think she was dead because also there wasn't a lot of blood from the gunshots, apparently, something like that. And yeah. apparently that's to do with your heart stopping. Oh, the bub isn't the bub. The blood isn't flowing. Pumping anymore. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Which I thought was quite interesting because I didn't know that and I'm quite dumb. So <laughs> things like that blow my mind. I'm like, oh wow, that makes so much sense, duh. She also, however, received a really severe beating 
that was said to have happened while she was still alive and it was really weird because she was the only one besides like her dad got like a few injuries but she was the only one that was like brutally brutally beaten martella had also been sexually assaulted recently before her death they say between 12 to 24 hours before her death what? however when they did the autopsy they saw and discovered that a wound had reopened this wound already existed due to another sexual assault so she had now they had now known that she had been raped at least two times before oh. and one time was before at least 12 to 24 hours and it was intense enough that there was a, a wound that mm. reopened sure so this gave police a motive for the crime but the evidence gave police a weird vibe because of how differently the victims were killed like i said martella was like really brutally beaten to her face and then she was also she was the only one that was shot from the front yeah everybody else was shot with their backs towards the killer the shooter, yeah. which they thought was super weird yeah. they also saw and noticed that although everyone was quite brutally murdered the person that was the least brutally mur- murdered was christelle who was the mom and it was seemed that she was murdered in a way that she could suffer the least amount of pain yeah so the crime scene also gave them the same weird vibe that they were getting because there wasn't a big struggle usually if it's going to be a robbery or something you're going to see struggle you're going to see things are broken toppled over not in the right place whatever nothing like that happened it was almost as if these people were really shocked to have been attacked like they weren't expecting it at all because they didn't really have time to react it was like this person just walks in and shot them no time to to defend themselves or anything like that which i think is fucking crazy so oh my god this is really sad this is really sad so after the autopsy was finished with all the bodies the families were then obviously allowed to then take the bodies so that they could bury them. So what ended up happening was a bunch of Martella and Don's school friends from Bloom had taken transport to go to the the service, which was really beautiful. However, on the way there, there was a roadblock and they shut down the road. The Grey College boys turned around and they went back to Bloom. However, it said that nothing was going to stop these little girls from going to their friend's funeral. They decided they were going to take the next route that was closest. And even though it took a bit longer, they were like, we're going to go. We don't care. So they go on their little journey and they fucking pop a tire. So they get a fucking lift. And they all climb into this little lift and they fucking go all the way there. Bitch, when I tell you nothing was, nothing gonna, stop was gonna stop those little girls at all. And I just thought that that was really beautiful. Mm. It was really, I just think like it just shows, you know, and it was said that it was so devastating to see how young and innocent these poor little girls were that had to now stand and have a part of their innocence taken away apparently it was 
very devastating, which I can imagine. So a few weeks after all of this, Don went back to school for a bit. And when he got back, people noticed quite a big difference in him. He was known to be quite a shy person. He wasn't a very big social butterfly. He had a very small group of friends. He was introverted. He struggled to get along with the girls. You know, he didn't know how to... Didn't have Riz, yo. Riz. Riz. What is Riz? Uh, what's a word you... Like your mojo. He didn't, yeah, he didn't have swag. He swag. didn't have game. Okay, his mojo. His mojo. And, you know, he just... Oddball. He comes back and this is like a complete fucking 180, bruh. He is a completely different person. All of a sudden, he's so confident, he's almost coming off that he's arrogant. Okay, he's loud, he wants attention all the time. Like, he's just thriving on other people, giving him attention. And now, obviously, people feel bad for him. And so, apparently, all these girls are just all over him now, giving him all this attention. All these people at his school are giving him attention. And he's just loving it. And... It's just a really weird situation because they're like, this is not the person you were before this happened. He even took part in this thing called tent pegging. I don't know if you know what it is. Mm -mm. But it's basically this thing where you ride a horse. and It's a sport. You do some shit. I don't know. It's really weird. The really weird part about the fact that he took part in this... He decides to take part in a competition. He uses his sister's horse. No. Bitch, he's seen posing, big smile and everything on his sister's horse. Maybe two, three, four months after. And he didn't do anything like, I'm dedicating this to my sister. Not that I could find. It was just... You know, I want to do the cool things now because people notice me. Yeah, because on the one side, I can kind of see how if he was in that mindset of I want to honor my sister Mm. and do this for her, taking her horse wouldn't be that weird. But from what we know about him so far, it does seem pretty freaking weird. Yeah. I don't know, just the way it came across in what I found in the information I found, people just found it really weird. It just didn't give off the oh what a nice brother it wasn't it didn't give that it gave spooky and weird and what are you doing well i have such a high fever oh girl okay are you okay i'm fine so police were hesitant to release statements revealing who they had as a suspect Okay, guys, I think we can all agree we know who their suspect yeah. was. Yeah, yeah. But they were, they didn't want to, they didn't want to let them know. Um, they were, they kept just giving out information that was like, oh, we're waiting for this test to come and we're waiting for that and we're waiting for this and we're wait-. They just didn't want to tell anybody what they were thinking, which makes sense. Duh. However, other police officers involved in the case knew what was going on and they had also come to their own conclusions and they knew that the identity of the suspect could not be revealed due to the truth of this case. So while the case was still under investigation, a lot of people had created their own conclusions, like a lot of other people, outsiders. And some even started to point fingers at Don, 
who was the only survivor left. This was said because there were rumors that Don was adopted and that he found out and he just flipped and he went off and killed his parents. Just a PSA to everyone, he was not adopted. Those Mm -hmm. are his biological parents. People are just cooked in their heads and decided, I'm going to clickbait this shit. So they pointed their finger. They were like, he's adopted and he found out. And oh my God. And people are like, girl, what? So while all of these rumors were going around, it caused a lot of complications for Don. And this led to a lot of complications in school because people started bullying him and all of that. But on top of that, he was still in hostel. So a lot of parents started freaking out because they had formed their own opinion. And they were like, how dare my kid be in hostel with someone who might have murdered their parents? Like, how can you do this? Blah, blah, blah. So Gray asks him to leave. The school is like, yeah, thank you, but no thank you. Yes. He gets kicked out of school for the first time. His parents fight for it. Well, not his parents. His family members fight for it. He gets put back in school. Then some shit goes down, which we're going to get into when he's in school again. And then he gets kicked out of school for the final time. So he comes back to school and now apparently he's getting bullied instead of being praised, you know. So it's a complete 180. He's like, now the kids are mean to him and blah, 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 blah. But police had still not released a statement. This was now four months after the murders. They had not released who their suspect was, nothing. And people are starting to get like really on edge because they're like, hello, what happened? So in August, they release a doctorate and we'll speak to Cupcake about all the ins and outs about a doctorate and things like that and the next few things I'm going to talk about. But basically, if you have enough information to make an arrest, you can. If you don't, you can't something along like those lines and they had enough information and enough evidence against don to make an arrest so they do they walk in to don's classroom and escort him to the the officer the principal's office and this is where he is then placed in handcuffs at this time he was then taken to his hostel room they investigated it and they were looking through everything to see if they could find anything but I don't think they really did find anything in his room it was really weird because they said that this whole thing happened when it was break time at school it said that they thought that police officers did this on purpose because with the pressure of everyone watching and doing that they thought it could break him but apparently it didn't break him it kind of did the exact opposite he just walked with a straight face completely unbothered unfazed and he just walked to the room and he walked out and then he walked to Duval's car one thing that was also really shocking was from the car ride from the school to the police station Duval turned on the radio and when they turned on the radio obviously news had already hit about what had happened so they heard this radio lady speaking about it saying a 16 year old boy has been arrested and he's the suspect of this murder and while this is happening he looks into the rearview mirror he sees a smile creep across don's face that's when he realized that in a really sick dark twisted way this is what he wanted due to don being a minor at the time of the murders his identity was protected 
for a very long time they didn't say who it was when they kind of thought of him as a suspect they always referred to him in a way that he didn't even relate they weren't allowed to relate him to the family members they weren't allowed to say it was his mom or his dad or anything because obviously it's gonna show his identity so he was always known as the accused which was super strange um and that was all that like happened until he was like 18 he was always known as the accused the whole situation really confused people because they everybody knew that the only sole survivor was don and everybody knew he was a 16 year old boy and that you know he was a minor and everybody was like okay but we kind of this is a little bit obvious don't you think do we really have to beat around the bush here but it was not happening the judge was like he is going to constantly be known as the accused his identity is not going to be given at all and everybody was like okay weird situation once he went and got arrested and stuff he ended up getting charged with three counts of premeditated murder this was apparently going to make it really hard for him to get bail because they don't only just take into consideration obviously the intensity of the crime but he's saying already he's getting bullied in school like what is is his life going to be in danger when he leaves so they were like "Mm, we don't think he's going to really get bail for this so benny was the legal guardian that I said we were going to find out who his name was. His name's Benny. And they also, the defense also hired a social worker to testify Don's mental state and where he was at and like, obviously how he was coping, blah, blah, blah. However, it was soon found out that Benny and the social worker were related. So this created conflict of interest or whatever you want to call it and they were like you can't be his social worker anymore there were claims that he even got like that don even got special treatments while he was incarcerated mm-hmm. apparently his parents were well his family members were able to like bring him pillows and bring him this and just stuff to make his stay better and apparently he was just treated better than ever and it was weird like why was he allowed to to do that this is where gray wouldn't let him back until trial was over but they gave him assistance so they said we'll drop your schoolwork off you can hand in your assignments but a really weird note this is actually so strange in december the year before the murders happened don was supposed to go on holiday with his friend you know some people do that they go oh let me take a friend with me but his parents were like no 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 it's over christmas you're not missing christmas like you're staying here and it said that after the murders happened he messaged that same friend saying oh hey i can go with you to durban this year and no one can stop me and i'll have a lot of money to spend that is so disgusting bruh that is horrific i was like dude so moving on to trial there was a lot of speculation around the trial because Don actually dismissed his legal team due to insurmountable differences. But it wasn't really told what those differences were, but he dismissed them. So after that, he maintained his innocence throughout the trial, despite the fact that Hannes Kluter, who was the state prosecutor, 
pointed out several discrepancies between Dan's story and the evidence that they had gathered. Dan's story is the following. So he says he went outside to go change the light bulb and he heard gunshots. So he hid in the barn where he was. He said he stayed there until he heard the gunshots die down. And when he did hear them eventually die down, that is when he went into the house and he was then confronted with these dead bodies. He saw that his mom and dad were dead, but he saw that his sister was still alive. So he tried to pick her up. However, she died in his arms. When she died, she apparently fell to the ground and grabbed his shirt, causing it to tear. This is now the shirt that was hidden. So dead, she grabs his shirt. While dying. Which I feel like only could have happened in a movie. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. He then says that he drove to go warn some of the farm workers that were on the farm because he thought it was a farm attack. At that point, he said he heard more gunshots. Okay, so now keep in mind, he's driven away from the house to go warn people and he hears more gunshots. Then, when exiting the farm, he found the discarded weapons at the gate. So he picked them up and took them to the police station where he handed in the weapons and told police there had been a farm attack at the house. Okay. This is kind of what the state says and they kind of just throw his whole statement out the fucking window. So they say that ballistics show... Both guns that were handed in were used in the murders, thereby making it impossible for Don to have heard more shots after he drove off Mm. and found the guns. Evidence suggests that Martella was raped in the 24 hours before her death, right? Mm. Then they also say that Dan had admitted that him and his sister had a fight shortly before the murders. But he wouldn't provide an explanation. He actually went on to say that he forgot what they fought about. What? Yeah. But he said they fought literally that day. Which was strange. Blood splatter analysis did not correlate with his version of Martella grabbing his shirt. Experts also testified that Martella would in all likelihood have been too weak to tear his shirt just before dying. And the blood splatter and prints found outside the house in front of the barn suggest that Martella received her fatal wounds before she even entered the house. What? And this is the first time police kind of realized that she wasn't inside the whole time. So she was shot last. Yeah. So he first did that to the parents. She was outside and he went outside. I think something like that. And so it would therefore have been impossible for Don not to have heard her being attacked from where he was hiding in the barn, as he Mm. claims. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Another bloodstained shirt was found in one of the rooms. Don admitted that that this was his shirt and he changed it before going to the police station because it was too much, there was too much blood on it. He thinks that this was going to make him look bad. You know, so he was like, no, I need to change my shirt. How do you think of that (laughs) in that situation? Mm. Like, I feel, especially for a 16 year old, if this happens, aren't you supposed to be so, well, I can't really, you can't say how anybody will react. I understand that. But if you, I don't know. I don't even know. 
it's just weird it's so weird but police kind of just think that this was him just trying to cover his guilt honestly but you know it's kind of like how would you cover your guilt if you just put it in your room where the crime scene literally is but at the same time it is a 16 year old boy that just committed murder three times yeah he's not a true crime podcast listener (laughs) no so it's just a weird situation going on the motive for the murders was that don had been the one to rape his sister and that she had threatened or had already told her parents for him to cover it up he needed to kill everyone that's kind of what they gather the the motive to be the fact that martella was involved in a struggle prior to her death unlike her parents is puzzling and supports the theory that the murders had something to do with her rape. Yeah. So Dan's story had changed many times since giving his initial statements and it is alleged that he had asked someone how much he would inherit two days after the murder, suggesting that he was guilty of premeditated murder. Yeah. So he was found guilty on charges of raping Martella and lying to the police. Judge President Franz Homo sentenced him to 20 years imprisonment on each of the three murder counts, 12 years on the rape counts, and four years for defeating the ends of justice. All sentences to run concurrently. Why the fuck? Bro, why? So then there was this whole other issue around the case. Media lawyer Dario Milo said South African law was unclear on the issue of identifying a child who was the subject of a court case and who had turned 18. However, he believed the newspapers were justified in identifying him. So what happened was, when this whole thing was going down, he was his identity was always, 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 always protected. However, throughout the court case, he turned 18. Throughout trial, he turned 18 and from the day he turned 18 his name was released yeah. and this caused a whole bunch of controversy because people were like how can you do that to him blah 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 and newspaper people were like listen we kept his identity a secret the whole time we didn't say a fucking word the only time we have now said something is now that he's 18 but apparently this it just did not go down well at all responding to a request from a newspaper to identify don the um judge homo he said what happened after judgment was none of his concern he also then said that when he was approached about publishing the boy's identity before judgment was delivered His answer was an emphatic no. Homo could not deal with any queries once he had pronounced on the matter. Because then, quote, judges do not dispense legal advice. They speak through their judgments, end quote. He said, during sentencing, Homo told the teenager to face the consequences to his deeds. Quote, in two days, you are a man. Now be a man, end quote. He told the teenager on wednesday before sentencing him the the judge attributed dan's needs to silence martella and her parents as being the most plausible explanation for the murder he says quote in my view 
the minor, the torturer, wanted to have sexual intercourse with the girl. When she refused, she was consequently tortured, raped and murdered to prevent her from reporting it. Her parents, who would bear witness to the rape, had to be eliminated. There would be no reason for Martella to inform anyone of the sexual activity if a consensual love relationship existed between her and the accused. End quote. He also went on to say that he doubted whether she had declared her love for him um, before she died because of the violent nature of her death. Then this guy, Dr. De- Dr. Llewellyn Curlewis, president of the Law Society of the Northern Province, agreed that Steenkamp would spend at least until 2024 behind bars before he could apply for parole. I just thought that was interesting to put in there considering 2024 is literally, what, like four weeks away? Not even, like three. Like two. Oh, bitch, what? (laughs) It's also said that he's doubted that he'll come out before at least serving 15 years of his 20-year sentence. When today he's 18, he will be 33, apparently, when he should more or less be released. Other red flags were also highlighted. Wait, so in 2024, he's going to be 33? I don't think in 2024 he's going to be 33. They said originally in 2024 he would be el- eligible for parole. However, they said that he don't. they don't think that that's probably going to happen. They think he must at least serve 15 years. So there was also this whole rumor thing that went on with yeah the defense so don's defense team they went on to even accuse dion and say no her dad is responsible for her genital issues and injuries and he did it and then he he was the one that did all of this stuff so they're literally blaming the dead dad the dead dad and that is the only thing you can do, then your defense is going to fall through pretty quickly. Right. So Homo instantly is kind of like, I know you're just doing this because of the state's argument that Dan needed to silence his sister and his yeah. parents. You're just trying to contradict that. So it wasn't really taken seriously. Homo also noted that the rape took place during the school holidays. Well, this is what he kind of assumes. Yeah. This is his conclusion. Yeah. Mr. Judgeman. He thinks that the first rape, I assume, took place during the school holidays when Matella and Don were alone on the farm, which was between the 2nd and 6th of April around, and they went horse riding together. He says, quote, no friends had visited the farm during this period, end quote. Humo also pointed out, he also pointed out that while no semen was present, even the slightest forced penetration is rape so mm. you don't have to fully like have sex with someone the minute you force penetration it is classified as rape yeah. and he then says quote during his efforts to piece together what really happened in order to enable him to track down the perpetrators the investigating officer colonel dick deval asked the minor in the presence of his guardian to explain the scratch marks on his neck He reported that he had fought with Martella that afternoon, but claimed that he could not remember what the fight was about, end quote. So she clawed him. That's what he's claiming. Yeah. Meantime, everybody's like, I think we know what's really going on here. 
Judge Homo, he was not convinced that the accused had all of a sudden just magically forgotten what they had fought about that literally earlier that afternoon. He says, quote, the minor was unable to explain why his own blood was on his pants. He explained that he had an had a nosebleed because he had not sustained any cuts or wounds that day. End quote. Judge Homo also added that the accused sent the police on a wild goose chase after claiming that the Steenkamp family members were victims of a farm murder. He says, quote, By providing false information, the police machinery kicked into gear and the big guns were mobilized. When he lied about the farm attack and misled the police into thinking that the abandoned bucky en route to the farm was a getaway vehicle, end quote. Judge Homo also found the murder, uh, the, the murder. He found Don to be a poor witness who was discredited and uh, who was discredited under cross-examination, yet remained strong, confident and assertive throughout his testimony while he showed no emotion. Quote, he never appeared flushed, nor did he stumble or trip over his words, even under cross-examination, end quote. The judge indicated that the gunman must have been treading on familiar territory and knew the layout of the house because he then says, quote, it would be unlikely for two attackers to take turns in shooting the deceased. Mm. But they were all shot like kind of from the back, you know. He also pointed out that the accused, so Don's explanations, including the man who owed Dion money and the former farm worker who threatened that the Steenkamp family would be the first target should a farm attack be carried out, were all unwarranted. So these are all just random stories this kid was spinning to try and deflect. It was so terrible that you would take something like farm murders Mm. to cover up your own shit. Mm -hmm. It was really... I just don't understand why he went through so much. But anyways... The judge also questioned why the attacker in the in Don's version had stolen Dion's knife because apparently he stole Dion's knife. He says, quote, why once the mission was accomplished, did the dumb criminal discard of firearms next to the road? If he was confronted by the police or the neighborhood watch, would he have put his hands in the air and say that he was sorry? End quote. So the judge added that Don never missed a target with a firearm and pointed out that he should have summoned the police and an ambulance to the scene by making use of his cell phone if a prowler was indeed on the loose. Strange. And on top of that, he also stated that the accused, so Don, also lied about not hearing his sister's blood-curdling screams, as they called it, because... She was tortured really, really badly. As they said, from the evidence that they found, she was attacked outside, right by the barn, where he said he was hiding. And he's like, I didn't hear anything. I didn't know. Uh, yeah, it would me. make more sense if he actually said he heard it, but he was too scared to go yeah. out. Yeah. That would make so much more but sense. But he was like, no, all I heard was gunshots. I didn't hear them attack her outside. So it just, like, dude, it made... No sense. None whatsoever. Due to all of this, his 
Don's like account of his version of of stories it was completely dismissed no one believed him everybody knew it was fake and they were just like you know you're just lying you're just fucking lying ronnie o'neill the third dude literally (laughs) that immense confidence in that i'm gonna get away with yeah i mean i'm totally like you've got nothing on me and so now he is serving his many sentences but they're all concurrently so it's only about like 20 years i think that he gets full time crazy because he's gonna be what 38 when he gets out 33 oh 33 yeah yeah that is insane yeah so although if you look at it all separately it's like 20 years per murder plus the 15 years for the rape which in hindsight is like wow that's amazing but all served concurrently the max you're gonna do is 20 years that is insane. We we need to get Cupcake to just come do a podcast so we can ask her all of these questions. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the case. Sorry, guys. I was very confused today. It's okay. That was intense. Yeah. I was very confused. I think I confused everybody. So but I now, apologize. now that he's in prison, yeah. is he still going to get his inheritance? I don't think so. But I don't know. Because that's actually something I don't know how we that works. Into. We should. Because... Technically, if his name is on the will, mm, he should still get it. He should still get it. But how should you be allowed to get it if you're the one that killed yeah. them? No, because surely I've watched lots of things where like wives marry their husbands for their inheritance and they don't end up getting it once they get like charged with the murder. Yeah, but that's in America. Uh, I wonder what. Oh, ooh, we need to ask that to Cupcake. Yeah. Imagine he does get the inheritance comes out of prison and then he's a then he's fucking rich that is insane it is crazy because then all you have to do is like sit in prison for 20 years and then you have millions yeah that is crazy it is crazy i don't know i think if i want to sit back and look at this whole thing i think a big thing of why i chose this case is i feel like it you know we it is i don't want to i don't want to ever invalidate a crime or a murder or whatever because all murder is bad but our whole thing is doing dark and twisted and fucked up and all of that shit. And I just think, as a 16-year-old boy, you literally murdered your whole family to cover up the fact that you raped your sister. Yeah. And you you didn't even do it... Like, you did it in such a brutal way. You know, you... Even in that last moment of taking your sister's life, after taking what you've already taken from her, you then still beat her to the point where she's almost unrecognizable and then you shoot her this is it's crazy there must be something psychologically wrong with him i just and especially because he was raping his sister it's it said that like during the whole thing like he didn't even show emotion he didn't even at the funeral it was i was listening to this podcast shout out to true crime south africa yeah slay girl you helped me a lot she was explaining how during the funeral i can't really remember it verbatim so Mm. take it with a pinch of salt but he is apparently don don is standing next to his grandfather and he like almost like sheds like a, a tear or whatever or like fake cries or something for like a minute or two okay and whatever and he like puts his hand in his like face and whatever and he's like fake crying and like his grandfather looks down at him 
and then looks away and then just starts bawling his eyes out like hysterically crying (gasps) and it's just said that a lot of people noticed that difference between the two of this man who lost his son and his grandchild and i think his daughter-in-law or whatever or daughter and son-in-law like devastated and this young boy who's just lost his sister his mom and his dad who fake cried for two minutes and then was like okay let's get out of here that'll do donkey that'll do that is crazy i just and i just i also don't understand really his process you know they say it's kind of premeditated but if it was surely you have a better plan he's 16 girl yeah but like he's 16 he probably thought he had a fantastic plan and to be fair i don't know how quick like how how premeditated was it did she threaten the night before like oh listen i'm I'm gonna go tell them you know so i also don't know like maybe he didn't have like months and months to plan a type vibe yeah so maybe he didn't plan on exactly how he was killing them but maybe he did plan on just just doing just killing them like he wanted to he just didn't have your guys he just didn't have uh an opportunity yet maybe Mm. if i can say it like that i get that yeah that is some crazy shit yeah guys it's been a long week so bear with us yeah it has been a super long week but we have some exciting things coming yeah some cool episodes on the way yeah it's gonna be vibey yes so if you want to hear them like and subscribe like comment and please give us a review that really goes a long way yeah an extra part i have suffered from saying the word like too many times in our podcast (laughs) (laughs) to the point where in our last episode s managed to take out 12 minutes of our episode that was just me saying like (laughs) so there were so many that i couldn't take out because it was if you hear me try i really am trying to correct it guys like literally like literally i'm like trying like but please (laughs) give me grace because i'm addicted to it more than a crackhead is addicted to crack but anyways minisode monday oh guys you're not ready no it's it's gonna be a wild one yeah it is gonna be a crazy one so let's let's uh Let's check you then. Yes. Have a well-rested weekend. Chill it out. We need to chill it out. Yeah. And then we will see you next week. Go, um, what should you go do today, guys? I feel like today you should go give a stranger a compliment. Yeah. And I think hug your family. Yes. Yes. Tell them you love them. Yes. And do a random act of kindness. Yes. Make someone stay. Make someone smile. Okay, bye. Bye.